Great DJs deserve great music. That's why here at Desi BPM, we're giving professional DJs access to the first ever online DJ pool exclusively for Desi Music. Register your interest now and receive your first three months free at desibpm.com. Hi, I'm Chunt, and I'm a DJ. And I'm Mac, and I'm his MC. Mic check, one, two, one, two. We're just two northern lads who love music and good conversation. And this is our podcast, Roots and Rhymes. So welcome once again to the podcast, This is Roots and Rhymes. And I'm Chunt. And I'm his co-host, Mac. And we look forward to bringing you the best in British Asian culture. This week, we're speaking to burlesque dancer and Netflix reality show star, Suki Menon. She tells us all about her incredible journey to get to the level that she's at today, full of twists and turns and a multitude of different cultures. Stay in touch by hollering at us on the socials at Roots and Rhymes. If not, you might as well continue listening, then subscribing, then downloading, then rating, and then reviewings. <laughs> Do you like my intro there, Mike? I li- leave this leave this in. <laughs> and uh, reviewings or anything like that since Phone Jacker, man. <laughs> Do you like that? I like Do you it. like my beginning I bit? I my it. beginning bit was channeling my inner Roman <laughs> Mars from 99% Invisible Podcast. It- You're channel- channeling internet service providings, bro. Don't, don't even give me that Roman Mars stuff. <laughs> internet service providings. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. I was watching Phone Jacker back to back last week. Honestly, on YouTube, I was I was watching it. It's so yeah. funny, man. It doesn't get old. No, the guy is amazing. The guy is just incredible. But No, amazing. We've got a great show today. And um, just let, let's get straight into it. Let's do this. Roots and Rhymes. So today we're proud to welcome a global Desi powerhouse, She's defied cultural stereotypes by expressing herself and her culture through her art. In between, she campaigns via this art form to empower women, and now she's bringing us an injection of colour right through to our screens on her Netflix reality show. It's Suki Menon, aka Singapore. How are you, Suki? Welcome. Yes, I'm well. How are you guys? Very, very well now that we've got you on the show. Finally, almost a year later, we have got you on the show. We've done it. It took the world ending in a pandemic. <laughs> it did. It did. <laughs> for it's... things to stop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, Welcome to Roots yeah. and Rhymes. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So which part of the country are you in right now or which part of the world are you in right now? Good question. I'm currently in the UK. Um, I've been stuck here. Well, I've been stuck here for, I want to say over half a year. Mm-hmm. So it's not by choice, written by choice. <laughs> well, you know, my parents are still here, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, yeah, the, the world closed and I did the responsible thing and I thought, you know what, I could travel, but yeah. I'm not going to. I'm going to stay where I am because mm-hmm. a lot of Good. things we can do now here from our sofas, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, that sounds mad because we can't do filming, but mm. we can still rehearse. We can yeah. still get sent material yeah. to look over and things take take time anyway. So mm-hmm. it's kind of been interesting to realize just how much we can push functioning in one place. It is pretty nuts, is isn't it? Yeah. Thing to say, it is, to it honest, is. It's super privileged. It is. I mean, um, the, the the podcast is a product of lockdown as as you know, uh, we we launched yeah. it last last year when we initially yeah. spoke and it's it's worked wonders how we've been able to do this. Obviously Zoom, a couple of cameras and a couple of ring lights. 
we can look great, you know? So <laughs> you guys are smashing yeah. it, though. Honestly, as long as the so camera's proud. not facing the other way, it's, it's fine. That's all <laughs> good. <laughs> facing this way, it's cool. The backdrop's here. You don't want to see that side of the room. No, it, we're, we're trying our best anyway. But how, how have you managed to get through the current circumstances? Well, how are you occupying yourself? Apart from work, are you kind of getting some downtime? What have you been doing? Um, wow, so many, so many questions. Um, well, to start with, I kind of took it really hard because I just wasn't used to not mm. traveling. I wasn't used to not being on the go constantly. And I don't mm. mean that in a people who say they're busy because they like being busy yeah. way. It's just the the buzz of it, the travel, the going to different places, the different cultures, mm. using that to inform my art. You know, a lot of what I do, I take inspiration from my travels. Absolutely. Without travels. I kind of like hit this creative blank where I'm yeah. like, there's, I've done everything in this space, in the sphere, nothing is inspiring me. And that was a scary, scary place to be in. But then you realize this is for those who are fortunate enough to have not been chronically affected um, mm. in terms of illness by the pandemic, this is an opportunity to yes. rediscover yourself, yeah. to learn new things. Mm. And that's really when stuff started getting interesting for me and things started evolving. And then of course, Singapore social started trending again and <laughs> because of kind of because everyone was stuck at home I yeah. guess they had nothing to do but watch Netflix and yeah. so all these shows <laughs> that had had like a moment suddenly had a, a greater moment and a larger moment because mm. that's everything everyone was doing and then Bling Empire came out and yeah. that shot us up again and so it, it's it's weird. Yeah. I, I now feel like I should have taken a little bit more time just to lounge about in my pajamas because now <laughs> <laughs> it's more go than it was in the mid period. So I'm doing yeah. well. Yeah, it's cool. Good. Well, the, the thing is, is, I think it's amazing that obviously, yes, a lot of people have got more time and and they're watching right. these shows again. But it's also the effects of another show has on Singapore social. Obviously, people are finding out that obviously Asians are quite affluent and the lifestyles that they they can lead is quite interesting and, and obviously a world apart from what people are watching over here. So I find that really interesting, actually. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And also I love that, you know, a show like Bling sends you to Singapore Social and vice versa. Mm. And you realize that yeah. the world has space for different types of Asian reality show and that we don't important. all yeah. look the yeah. same, you know? What's great about it is... That's- and that's key, right, isn't it? because you kind of like get to, I, I know I've experienced it in Hollywood where I've said, oh, I'm Asian. And they've gone, oh, but you're not Asian, you're Indian, right? Yes. And I think oh, that yeah. always has bugged yeah. me. I don't know why I need to get that chip from my shop. Yeah, yeah. We are <laughs> Asians as well. Well, the definition of Asian in the US yeah. is different, isn't it? That's the thing. So the UK, when you yeah. say like yeah. you're Asian in the UK, yeah. you're like, oh, right, huh? We, yeah, okay. You're, so you're not Indian then. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? so it's crazy, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. I love that all these shows are coming out and just giving you the rainbow flavor of our rich and diverse yeah. culture, which is just phenomenal and I'm, I'm so pleased and it's proud so to be a part of that. it is because it's it's a it's kind of really nice because you know the, the typical thing to do is take a culture and just stereotype the hell out of it so everyone you see from that culture from that area acts the same looks the same talks the yeah. same dresses the same and it's really time that we break down those barriers and say hang on a minute being asian isn't yeah. one thing the diversity within that continent is immense the history the culture the heritage is different Absolutely. from one part to the other. And we need to celebrate that and explore that rather than just pigeonholing it into, oh, you're Asian or Indian. Right. And also, like if you're now. Indian, you don't have to look 
like category A, an Indian. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think Definitely, as well, right. when you're representing yeah, yeah. Asians on a global scale, how interesting is it to bring a different aesthetic? And mm. I think my hair took like center stage before I yeah. even opened my mouth. And I was, I was glad I didn't plan it at the time, but I was glad of that because mm. I think it's just something that I'm proud that I was a part of because I would have liked to have seen a rainbow Indian on TV <laughs> when I was growing up and know yeah. that we don't have to have, you know, stuff like cutting yeah. my hair growing up was such a taboo because we were all kind of grew up on this. Mm. This is how like a good Asian girl or a good Asian guy should look like. And anything else is a rebellious act. Like you mm. can't dye your hair or you can't do this. Do you know what I mean? So I yeah, think, absolutely. I think defying that as a, as almost the first point yeah. of call that a lot of Americans see Indians is, is pretty cool and mm. an amazing time to be. Rewind. Let's take it back. Know your roots. So, Obviously, in Singapore, you've got various different uh, cultures there. You've obviously got people from China, India, mm. all in this massive melting pot. Mm. Obviously, growing up with a Carolyn father, do you, were you very much in touch with your Indian culture from the get-go or was it a little bit hard for you to to relate to it because of the different kind of people around you? Um. Well, that's a really good that's a really good question. I was in touch, but it it's very weird because I think I'm more in touch now than I was when I was growing up. Mm. Because oh wait, shit, sorry, hang on, my cats are making a lot of noise in the background. Sorry. Can you hear that? Like, no, I barely. Um I I think it's interesting because how I experience my culture now is almost is almost more appreciative than when I was growing up. Because mm. growing up, it wasn't just my dad was, you know a Carolite from Singapore. Mm. It was, my dad was a Carolite from Singapore, but I had a British mom. Mm. Yes. Um, and I think that really, it, it messed me up, I think, growing up. It's mm. funny because now I really appreciate it. But growing up, it gave me that sense of, you're not fully Indian, but then you're not fully British, but what are you? Right. Mm. And that just really, it created this conflict in me of not fully embracing either mm -hmm. because I felt like neither, yeah. but I felt like both. And so, you know, my dad, when I was growing up, he would like sit me down and he would like make, make me watch like, could you, could you hold that hair? And mm -hmm. I'd be kind of into it. And I'd be like, yeah, I want to, you know what I mean? <laughs> I want to, I want to, I love Shah Rukh Khan. I'm so into this. And, and I was like addicted to Karina Kapoor. Like I love mm. Karina Kapoor. But then the, the other part of me was like, no, that's not cool. That's not cool. I need to be like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? No, I need to stay yeah. away from this. I need to, I need to, to be like my Western friends. Mm. And it was just sad that I, I felt this um, dichotomy. Yeah. And I just, I felt very much like it wasn't an obvious embrace yeah. of the culture. Mm. And added to the mix, being Indian Singaporean, then you have a completely different type of Indian representation. Mm. It, it's Absolutely. the same, but it's different. So then you've got like this, this tri-cultural mm. blend and essentially it was a mess. And so I think then as I grew up, my dad would try and teach me, teach me Malayalam and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And mm. I would be rebellious, but I really wish I'd appreciated that more looking mm. back. And now as I've kind of grown and I've learned to really embrace myself, who I am, my roots, my, my hair, um, <laughs> my culture, and just feel really proud that I'm now representing that part of myself. It's something that I've become 
more and more immersed in, drawn to, and proud of. And reconnecting with that side has been a huge part of my journey. Mm. Um, it was, I, I, I want to say a year ago, maybe it was a little bit over a year ago that I went back to the ancestral family home in Kerala and oh, kind of just really immerse myself in that part of my family and, you know, all my relatives out there. And that was just hugely transformative. It's, it's, it's weird because I discovered this Suki Singapore identity through being uncomfortable with mm. my heritage. Yeah. And the more I become comfortable with myself, the more I feel like visually I'm unraveling to normal, yeah. <laughs> but it's not purposeful. I think you get to a point where like aesthetics are art, but aesthetics can also be um, to disguise or to express yeah. an uncomfortableness. Absolutely. And when you take away that, you start to like become very, very cool with just plain you yeah yeah right mm. but also that could be covid talking the <laughs> fact that we've all got used to not going to the yeah, head this best, you're right. normal yeah you're right you're right it could be really deep really deep or really superficial who knows <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's one of the two anyway yeah. it's yeah. one of the two yeah <laughs> it's a it's a it's a journey though isn't it um identity finding yourself yeah. i think it's a journey that it's, it unites every human being that journey to find oneself and I think it's right. but I also think it's a lot more difficult when you come from a place where there's multiple cultures or multiple influences on you because you can kind of be in a situation where you're half in and half out and you don't really fit in either so you're creating an identity rather than falling into one uh, and I think that 100%. can be really difficult especially in your formative years and in your teenagers and those kind of places. But the beautiful yeah. thing to come out of it is if you, if one can get to that point where they find that identity, it really does blossom into something unique and beautiful that really does stand out and feel like it's uniquely you. Right. And it doesn't mean to say that that impedes being able to then express yourself mm. and do something like Absolutely. have rainbow hair or mm. dress yeah. gregariously. It doesn't, it just means that, you finally have a choice right. aside from self-discovery and trauma. Yeah. Mm. And I don't know how you guys feel like as well. I mean, growing up as like Asians in the UK, mm. how does that affect how does that affect you? Like where do you see yourselves? It's it's a little bit crazy. I think I think I think to an extent, we ha I kind of myself, my journey was I was torn between two cultures to an extent. I had definitely in school, I had a large group of friends that were non-Indian and a large group of friends that were Indian. And I could find that I could relate to both, but then also I never felt that I belonged to one. But then yeah. as you grow older, you actually almost learn how to orchestrate them two cultures in order to kind of benefit you in such a way. Like I can, right. I can become in touch with my Indian side and that allows me to um, to be more cultured and maybe to be a little bit more, a bit more coloured, let's say, um, for lack of a better word. But then obviously my English side, it allows me to have conversations with people and relate to people on a different level who don't necessarily look like me. So it's it's one of them that I, I understand your difficulty seeing is 
there was obviously this three sides and obviously Singapore being a melting point in itself and obviously um, your Indian side and English side and where to, where to, to kind of draw that inspiration from. So I think for me, it was a, it was, it was a bit tough really uh, in the beginning, but you kind of grow into it, as you say, and you kind of learn to accept yeah. certain sides of you and, and navigate which, which ones you want to bring to the forefront and when, to be honest. Right. Yeah, you, it's Mike? it's a it mm. it is it's it's a learning process. How yeah, about you? Definitely. Yeah, for me, I I really struggled with it because um, I didn't really i I grew up very westernized, so my family is very multicultural. So white people, black people, Indian people, and growing up, I didn't have any Indian friends till I was like later in my teenage years. So I grew up with a lot of mm. black people and white people, and never never really felt the connection to my Indian heritage for a long time. Like still today, like it's not my, it's not the music I listen to. It's not the films that I watch. It's uh, that's, which is a product of my upbringing, but I appreciate it more now than I did when I was younger. But for me, I was felt like not really part of it because the Indian people around me would be kind of like, you're not Indian enough to hang out with us. So it's kind of like, you don't really fit in with them. Right. And then, you know, I'm not white and I'm not black. So as much as I was accepted by those people, I'm not really part of them either. So I was kind of like in this middle ground of, mm. so where do I really go with this? Because Indian people don't, and, and sometimes like we were having this conversation the other week on the podcast that inter, inter culture racism and, and, uh, uh, kind of nastiness against our own people can be really bad because for me it was like, oh, you don't listen to, you don't speak the language, you don't listen to the music, you don't watch the film, so therefore you're so not bad. Indian. And I'm like, but I'm, I'm my version of Indian, so what's wrong with that? Like, just because I don't do those oh things, um, the discrimination I got actually was more from our own people than it was from other people. So I really struggled to connect to my Indian culture for a long, long yeah. time. And it's only kind of in my recent years that I've been like, it's not, nothing's changed apart from the fact that I'm like, well, I'm going to be my version of Indian and it's good enough yeah. for me. And that's like exactly it, what like it's it. about. Like, I think you get to a point where you're just like, you know what? We're the only people who can define us. Like, we're the only people who can define us. What I mean by that is, and I don't mean that we can just like be like, I'm going to be a blue, like, mm-hmm. not like that, but we, we are literally mm-hmm. the only people because no one else has gone through that experience. And you end up with like this, this whole yeah. third culture melting pot of, of like brown and beige people who essentially mm. it, they get to define their identity and none of it is wrong right all of it is correct yeah. so like if you say if you were born in the uk and you say you're british you're correct if you're born in the uk you say you're mm. indian you're correct mm. if you're biracial and you describe yourself as brown you're correct because only we can explain the the upbringing and the feeling that we feel inside of us and that is more than face value and it's more than what's written down it's mm-hmm. it's a deep cultural connection and experience that mm. cannot be defined except by you and i think that that's something right. as well that has been a huge part of like coming to terms with myself and yeah. and who i am has been mm. really that struggle is that you know, yeah, I can say I'm Indian. I can say I'm Singaporean. I can, I can not be able to define my accent. Like I can be a mess, but 
uh, essentially I, I identify as Asian mm. and um, I identify mm. as a strong brown woman. Mm. And I think that that is, is all that matters. Do you know what I mean? That yes. is the end of the day is all yeah. that matters. And I think there are so many kids growing up today who have had biracial cross continent upbringings mm -hmm. and they're like grasping at that one person that they can look up to who can give them a place and feel like they belong so that you don't have the experience you had right. where like your Indian friends are like, well, you can't speak Hindi. So you're not Indian. Yeah. I don't have the experiences that I have because I had similar stuff to that. Yeah. I think if we can create this voice and, and create a platform for those mm. kids, we're just going to absolutely change things because at the end of the day, mm. we are just humans. Us, and yeah. we you are know, just us, that's yeah. it. It's, that's the, the, you know what it is, Saki? That's, it's a great point because, you know, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not a fan of any kind right. of label. So like the only label I put on myself is I'm, yeah. I'm human. That's, that's you know, that's what it. I used like, to I'm say. Not, I'm not interested in trying to I define. To yeah, I'm not interested in trying to define myself by labels because a label is open to interpretation. Because if I say I'm Indian <laughs> and someone else has got a different view of what it means to be Indian, then we're going to get into a semantics argument and I'm just not having that. So I'm like, I'm just going to shed labels. And <laughs> Actually, that's, yeah, I'm just that's what be I like, used to say. When, I forget the labels and I'll just be a human. That's what I used to say when I was growing up. People say, well, what are you? I'd be like, human. So it's obviously great to understand how you felt um, growing up and, and what position you were in due to your heritage. But let's let's just take it on a musical level now. Obviously, you said mm. that you were watching Bollywood movies with your dad and you love Kush Kush Hotae and Shah Rukh Khan and Karina Kapoor. Was it very much a Bollywood influence right in the beginning? Or were you listening to other things? Because you, you have siblings as well. Was there any influences right. coming in from them? What were you listening to? So my, my dad was getting like illegal copies of, I don't know whether your family, this is a very Asian thing. I'm going to go, right. <laughs> yeah. He was get, basically getting those bootleg DVDs. Yeah, you yeah. know, the ones yeah, of like all the movies that had just come out in India yeah. <laughs> and the ones that he watched when he was a kid and he was forcing us to watch them, like literally right. forcing us. And then we developed a love for it. Well, I certainly did more than my sisters. So yeah. that was like my dad's side. And so that music, and he would always be humming something, like he would be humming chants and things. Mm. And I would hear that. And that would be a massive influence. My mom, on the other hand, would be like, no, absolutely not. And you're not going to listen to popular music either. What you're going to listen to is classical music. Wow. So my mom was obsessed. Her family are extremely religious on that side. So I didn't really get it easier despite mm. being biracial because she was super religious on her side of the family. And, and they had family members who would sing in the choir and mm. there was organ music in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a huge part of it. So she would put classical music channels on she would get classical CDs and there was nothing else that we could listen to. And I, we would have to, have to listen to Mozart. Um, we would have to, have to listen to Beethoven. I, I couldn't stand Baroque. She loved Baroque. We had to listen to that. And it just drove me mad. Um, but also there were elements of it that I kind of loved because I started to get into the violin after listening to her orchestral yeah. music, play the violin in there was that sneaky love of classical mu music. But every time either parent was out of the room, it would be pop music. Yeah, it would just be yeah. pop. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. It, it was like, yeah, it was it was kind of that. So my music tastes are quite eclectic mm. um, in that I just love good music. 
But I think mm. when you have classical music from one pairing and Bollywood from the other, mm. one thing is for certain. You're going to be damn emotional. <laughs> and so I think that yeah, yeah, yeah. even yeah. though my music tastes revolve around what I think is good and not particularly a genre, I grew up with music moving me yes. on a deep emotional yeah, level. Yeah, yeah. Touching like the, the soul. Dr- the drama of Bollywood. Holy crap. Like you do that and there's there's a cadence for it. <laughs> and then, you know, like <laughs> the intricacy of classical music. And it, it, it really changed my life. I mean, I went around with my head in the clouds and every single step I took was had a soundtrack to it. And so music became mm. completely and utterly intertwined with my existence. And even Amazing. to this day, I live my life. To, I can chase my moods with a soundtrack throughout the Absolutely. day. And rather than listening mm. to music I want to listen to, I, I, I sometimes just go on YouTube and I'll just chase my, mu- my moods through, tra- through tracks. And even wow. when I'm walking right. or I'm driving, I'll just chase yeah. the mood. And you could almost like dictate each day and how I'm feeling by looking back at the soundtrack I played and that would be my day. That's so interesting. And I think what's great as well is the fact that you said you had a real eclectic mix of of music because when people generally say that, it's not that eclectic. It's more like (laughs) hip hop and R&B and a bit of soul and that kind of thing, but which in essence is popular music. Uh, But... Mm -hmm. I think when you're saying you've the Bollywood and then classical music, I think I think we we can. It's safe to say that there was a lot of lot of theatre in it and orchestral and well composed music as well, which hundred percent would would make you would make you feel like yeah, your your it, life is a soundtrack. It's a wonder that at that age, listening to that kind of music mm. and also being encouraged to listen to that kind of music. Oh yeah, my parents didn't go. Yeah, she's going to be an artist. <laughs> Their first thought was she'd make a great doctor. <laughs> honestly, always I is. Think, always is, right? I think back to myself as I'm kind of just like wandering and meandering through yeah. the day like this to all these soundtracks and they're going, nah, arts aren't for her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just the mind boggles, I mean, honestly. saying that though, Suki, I mean, obviously you said that you, you started learning violin and and yeah, it almost felt like you were, you were destined to go into the arts because well before burlesque, yeah. you were you were you were training in ballet as well, right? Yeah. So it yeah. kind of feels like art forms and dance and expressing yeah. yourself was very much right through to yeah. your in your blood and in your bones. Yeah, it really, really was, and I went through a period of time in my life of being really. I had a lot of resentment. Mm. had a lot of resentment towards my parents and my culture mm. in, in that, that strict Asian mentality yeah, yeah, of yeah. good grades, straight A's, mm. sciences. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I felt anger almost, almost to the point of anger that how could you not have seen it and how could you have yeah, stopped yeah. me from that? Yeah. Like how could you know I wanted to do the arts, you know, <laughs> My violin teacher, she said, you know, if you invest in her, she's going to be a protege because honestly, it was that it's crazy. And, and I wanted to sing the lead in the choir, like every, my, my dancing, I, I wanted to take these moments on stage, every single thing. It was so obvious. And I wanted to go to art school for university. And my mm. parents were like, no, you'll never get a job. And 
I held a lot, a lot, a lot yeah. of resentment because I thought to them, you know what, I wouldn't be where I am and I wouldn't, I'd be way more talented. I'd be way further in my career. Mm. I would have had a life of not being so angry and annoyed and ups- mm. and, and in pain, like truly yeah. in pain, yeah. if you'd have just realized that your kid was an artist mm. and that's not a bad thing. And then a turning point came mm. when I realized that if mm. I had been allowed to do it, would I be so passionate about it? Mm. If I had been given those opportunities, would I have this fight in me? Yeah. Like unbelievable fight. And I think the answer is no. In some cases, it is like that. It's it's a case of if it was given to you easily, would you have appreciated it? But the fact that it wasn't, right. you're almost determined to make make a success of it and you want to do everything it was, that it takes, right? Like not just make a success of it, but fight to make a success of it as quickly as I could fight to be the best in the world at it. It sounds inconceivable, but I was like, well, I'm going to do it and I'm going to be absolutely the the best in the world at it. Mm. And then see other kids around me that were experiencing what I just did and fight for them yeah, so that they didn't have to go through what I'd been through. Mm. And I really think that that shaped me. And has shaped me to the core that even though now I'm grateful of that journey, because I really feel like it has allowed yeah. me to help so many, yeah. um, just never want anyone to go through that, you know, because it's <laughs> it's also yeah. so unnecessary. Mm. It's so unnecessary. And I think there's the a balance. Usually I mean, there's a balance with everything, but there's a really a balance to be had. Yeah. Know? No, I think so. I think you're, you're absolutely right. And it's like you said you you went to university and you resented all that, but you went to university in Britain. You you went to yeah. the University of Nottingham. So was, was that was that how was student life there for you? Was were you very much exposing yourself to something slightly different? And also, how was the British Indian experience um, coming to Nottingham? Because I was I, I I've been to Nottingham and I've been to student nights around the time that you were probably there, and it was it was pretty pretty Indian. Right, there was quite a lot of Indians in Nottingham. So, it, yeah. how was that experience for you? Um, I think I I had become at that point by the time I went to university a slightly peculiar and very socially awkward human being. Wow! And I think that at that point I really I'd almost become like a, a I'd almost developed like social phobia, mm. and I stayed in my weird bubble. And I started to discover vintage fashion and mm. um, 80s music, yeah. like 80s, weird, bizarre 80s music, and then kind of get into a little bit of Bowie mm. and a little bit of The Cure and I and Judas Priest. And I started to become not peculiar, but I was definitely the goth yeah. biracial weirdo. Yeah. And so I didn't really... Whilst I had like a very small, small, small um, couple of friends, I I kind of felt very separated from Mm -hmm. that scene. And actually, it's really funny because I was in Lenton and um, I remember kind of thinking, okay, well, you know, this isn't Singapore, so I'm not going to be called the pale one. Great. Finally, perhaps I'll fit in. Yeah. And I remember this moment, it really, really, and I've never spoken about this publicly, actually, but um, when I was walking from Lenton to campus, 
Um, don't know why this happened. And I'm going to just say it as it is. It's really, really bad. Um, but I was walking from London to campus and um, a black gang rolled down their window and they egged me and they shouted Packy at me. And I remember just being like... Mortified. M- mortified, but also because I had gone, whilst it had happened before, earlier in childhood, I had mm. gone like a big part of my life always being called the pale one. Yeah. You know, Michael Jackson, like my family yeah, yeah. would kind of take the piss. And for them to think that, okay, cool, well, you know, it won't happen here. Mm. For them to be called out for being a brown one, that was just like, it just destroyed me. Yeah. It really destroyed me. And I ended up being quite depressed and I pulled myself through university. It was really, really difficult. And I had... um you know a, a very very sm- small sphere of people who kind of were able to pull me out of that and I mm. somehow got through university I honestly don't know how I did but I, I was determined and I pulled myself through university but it was tough it was that that was just like such a defining moment for me in mm. that you know you just really don't fit in mm. and I think that with the vintage fashion just catapulted me into then an aesthetic where I was determined to kind of look one way. That's when I started bleaching my hair white. And I honestly, at that point, I hate to admit it to myself, but I rejected my race. And I was like, I'm going to pick one. And the one I'm picking or gravitating towards is white. Because I don't, I want to fit into one box. And I would like make a joke of it and say, oh, well, it's like an albino Indian. It's like a queen. It's like a snow Bollywood queen. (laughs) But actually, I think what I was doing was when I look back at it, I was trying to pick one side of myself, Yeah, you know, and apart that, that it's for that reason that I, I feel really passionate against things like skin lightening creams Yeah, mm. because I started getting gravitated, gravitated towards that. And mm. that was just so, such, such a harmful way. Yeah. But it, it's, it's one of these things that as a biracial person and if anyone's listening or watching this and you, you, you're also biracial, you'll know what I mean. The, the, the pressure not just within yourself, but from society for you to pick one mm. is overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of like my really that, sad. That seems <laughs> so tough because I, it can kind of, and it had such a negative effect on you that the fact that because of what happened and that particular moment where somebody probably thought they were being funny and it was just right. a joke to them, had right. such such an impression and such an influence on your coming years. And yeah. you you almost felt like you wanted to reject that side of you because you didn't want to be that and be almost right. um, subjected to the racism that came with it. That you, I mean, you it kind was of bubbling. went in a different direction. Yeah. I mean, it was bubbling. Of course it was yeah. bubbling, that sense of not fitting in. But I think that's the turning point when, boom, I became a burlesque vintage pinup yeah and like this was the box that i was going to be in Mm. and race would no longer be an issue and then that inevitably catapulted me towards hearing about burlesque yeah because you can't gravitate towards vintage and pinup fashion without hearing about burlesque the two kind of go hand in hand absolutely and then that moment was 
showtime motherfucker because <laughs> it was like everything that I hadn't been allowed to do as a kid and growing up and during those formative years, being an artist, embracing my sexuality, um, reclaiming my body for no one else but myself, mm. combined with that vintage fashion mm. and the rebellious acts that is Burlesque. I mean, it's still seen as rebellious. It's a rebellious art it is, form. It of is. Course. Yeah. It makes yeah, for sure. you know you can't. You can't, it's an art form, mm. but it, by its nature, it is confrontational because it can yeah. cause a lot of misconceptions. And so yeah. I think that was just you know the what is it like the fire tape? Like yeah. The, yeah, that was yeah. like <laughs> the the ignition to Suki Singapore, and like boom, it went off. Like I was gonna be a burlesque artist and created this character that was almost larger than life. I mean, it was myself. I was living that moment for sure, Mm. but it just exploded then because of the culmination of this childhood, not knowing the drama, the repressing you from art, the not being the vintage fashion. And then burlesque just went, it went off. Yeah. That's exactly what you did after, after university, you, you decided to pursue it. Um, yeah. I, I think I, I read that you were working in IT at the time oh, and obviously not, not happy, <laughs> not happy with the life and, uh, and what you were doing. And obviously, like you said, you had this fire burning inside you that you wanted to, to, uh, creatively unleash. Um, yeah. and that's, that's when you, um, pursued burlesque, of course. And, and as you progressed and went through the hardship of small clubs, getting paid next to nothing and, you introduced parts of your heritage into it and into your costumes with bindis and dikkas and, and jewels that are almost synonymous to, to Indian culture. And you kind of, so as you went through this rebellious phase, do you feel as if you almost kind of embraced the Indian side to help merge them together and form that identity? Um, not purposefully. Actually, mm. I will put my hand on my heart and say, when I first started going into burlesque, I was attracted to the pinup aesthetic. Yeah. And whilst there were Asian burlesque artists that I was attracted to, it didn't really connect until yeah. somebody once sat down with me and said, if you want to be a great burlesque artist, you can't do what's been done before. You have to play on something mm. that is personal to you um, because you ha- you've got to stand out and be different and you've got to be yourself. Mm. And they were like, what is it about you that hasn't been said before that yeah. is unique? I was like, well, I'm biracial. I'm half Singaporean. I'm an Indian Singaporean. And um, I guess no one else in burlesque or I haven't seen it around has done that, has yeah. confused that. And so she was like, well, that's it then. Right. And so the mm. first thing I did was instead of using feather burlesque fans, I made but big burlesque fans out of palm leaves. Oh, wow. And that's yeah. when it started. And then I got the courage to wear like a putu or a bindi mm. and mm-hmm. bring that into it. And then my, my, my saris that had kind of like been, so some of them actually, my mom's going to kill me. I'll <laughs> cut up some of the saris that were gifted to me that <laughs> I never wore. Um, eventually, by the way, she supported me and then gave me a sari, which she allowed me to use as a burlesque costume. Wow. But until that yeah. point, <laughs> um, yeah, just grabbed bits of like sari material and cut it in and, and used it. And I, that was, um, that was the start of it mm-hmm. kind of coming together for me. And then I think that's really when I started to have confidence saying, I am a Singaporean brown woman. Mm. And yeah. I guess you'll note if you look at 
photos of me or that I try not to Google myself, that my skin start, I start to be more accepting my skin. I stop using so much powder on my face. Yeah. I started to really embrace my natural, natural beauty. Of course I had rainbow hair, but mm. that was, that felt right mm. at the yeah. time. But yeah. the culture yeah. I started to, to gravitate back towards and be proud of that. Mm. And then when I started doing it, then the effect that it had on other young girls who had felt like me and hadn't had that role model, it then became an obligation. It had yeah. gone from like a mm. personal journey where this is really just about me. And I was trying to amalgamate myself. I felt so fractured. I've always felt, yeah. even now, I always feel like I'm trying to create one human being and I'm so fractured. Mm. And so every single part yeah. of me is just trying to like, no, stop separating. Yeah. Like, please just become right. one human. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> <Yeah. You know? laughs> just trying to get all the pieces yeah. into one individual, yeah. like honestly. Yeah. And then one goes off this side. Oh no, I'm going to have Abraham. Like, no, wait, wait hang on, wait. <laughs> so I think that was when I started to become a human that was a Singaporean woman, that was a brown woman, that was proud of that and could say that mm. and feel confident in that and confident in my identity. And as I did that, I started to become more known because i think that really people connect with authenticity yes and when you're coming that's, from a truly the word. That is when the you're word. coming from that authentic place where you no longer give a shit about people's opinions you're just yeah saying what you say in the moment and being who you are i think that's when it really mm. resonates with people and i was fortunate that that's how then my journey led to netflix mm. was by really just being who i was in that yeah. moment at that time discovering myself so you're right yeah. authenticity is is the key word to that whole that whole uh, that whole message that you just gave there because i think that there's a there's an energy about someone who's genuinely authentic and it's very it's, it's just so obvious that it's true yeah. and it's a very attractive quality as well because i think when you see someone who's authentic like you mentioned about inspiring others when you when you encounter someone who's truly authentic it gives that person the safety to say, you can also be authentic. And that's what it really gives to people. And I think that authentic, authenticity is such a beautiful gift that you're giving to the world because it allows other people to look at it and think, I'm not exactly like her, but she's confident in who she is, which gives me the opportunity to be confident in who I am. And so authenticity breeds authenticity. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful, uh, I, a beautiful I think energy as, to give off. As well, giving a, giving a platform and a safe space for people to make mistakes and be and yeah. and allow mm. them to be uncomfortable with yeah. who they are but then grow i think um yeah we live in a world of the internet where your whole life is time stamped and yeah. even with me you know press got a hold of my story quite mm. early on in my in my formative period of who mm. I was in the public light. And so I, I kind of like had every moment like time stamped. <laughs> this is, yeah. this is what I said, and this is how you looked like. And I think it's okay to grow and share that journey yeah. with people Absolutely. without it being like painfully tragic, you mm. know, because mm. at the end of the day, everyone's got a sad story to tell. I know yeah. that sounds bizarre, yeah. but we've all been through it. And I think yeah. if you, you think you'd be lying if you said you hadn't experienced pain and I think you'd be lying if you said that pain hasn't informed you to become the person you are today, mm. because it has yep. for all of us. Yeah. And I think exploring that in being open with that and saying, hey, it's okay for you to 
discover yourself as you go along mm. and give space for people to discover themselves as they go along. And it's okay for you to change your mind, you know, as well. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that as well, Suki, because you're talking about how your your journey was very much documented from an early stage. So very much just a couple of years into your career, you, you were actually captured by FHM India and the burlesque yeah. community and you won a couple of awards, which is fantastic. And it's really positive and it must've really encouraged you. But I also just want to get your, your opinion quickly on the other side of it as well, where you knew full well, what you were doing was a taboo within the culture. And how did it feel breaking away from that stereotype at the same time? I know you said you were kind of wanting to merge everything together and, and, and become this, this human and be authentic about what you are. But obviously we all live within a world of stereotypes and you're breaking away from that. What was the, what was the backlash as a result of this positivity that was coming out of it? Where, what, how did Um, you deal with that? (laughs) Um, wow. Well, it's actually not necessarily true that I, I knew how controversial doing burlesque would be Mm. being a Indian Singapore, being an Asian. I didn't. I mean, Mm. I did, but I guess I didn't realize how many eyeballs were on me. Yeah. And um, because Mm. of that, I didn't realize the effect that it would have. And I think you have two choices when you're thrust into that situation where, okay, my personal journey is not just about me. I've got eyeballs. People are looking at me and it's causing controversy, not just with my family, Mm. but now it's causing controversy. And I think you have two choices. One, you can keel and fade away and, and decide, no, this is not for me. I don't want this controversy. I'm going to step away from this. And that's okay. That is 100% okay. But for me, I think because of the pain I was feeling at the time from having fought so hard for this against my parents and knowing that I was a good person, Mm. the injustice I felt from then burlesque not being seen as an art form when I had gone on this laborious creative journey, totally artistic Mm. journey of discovery, totally legitimate journey for it to not be accepted and for it to be judged was something that I just couldn't stand by and and watch happen. And I think seeing young girls and kids and guys as well start to message me saying, thank you for fighting against this, this, because you know, we've received backlash from our parents. Then it wasn't just about me. And that that pent-up passion and sense of injustice drove, like, drove me mm. to push back against it. And I didn't mm. care how much people said, you know, if there was any pe- people who would say, oh, no, Belasque is sexual, it's hypersexual. Yeah, yeah. I, I, did, I knew it was incorrect and I had to... I had to push against it because I was fighting for the injustice of my yeah, childhood of not yeah. being able to express yeah. myself. And mm. hell, if this art form, this beautiful art form that I had come to love and cherish and discover and be a part of, to hell that that was going to be discredited mm. as not an art mm. form and not legitimate. Um, and so that's, th- I think that's how I, I dealt with it. I dealt yeah. with any criticism was, no, this is what you're saying is so wrong. And the effect that you yeah. have on kids by saying different forms of, of art aren't mm. legitimate is, is so monumental. Yeah. I can't stand by and let this happen to anyone else. Um, and that drove the whole campaigning for it to be seen as legitimate. That drove 
the whole resilience of it, despite the controversy, I think that's where it emanated from. And then as well, you know, being given this kind of attention and also this, you know, on the flip side of it, recognition Mm. was something that Mm. then really fuels me to carry on because in a way, the the recognition that I was seeing from the people that were absolutely behind me was something that I hadn't got from my parents growing up. So then it very dangerously started to fill this hole within me of my dad's never said he's proud of me. Mm. And the more humans on this planet that say they're proud of me, it makes that pain less bad. Yeah. Um, Crazy. But, um, and, and so, yeah, I really kind of went after it for, for, for that two-pronged approach. One, I felt it was an injustice and I wanted to help other young girls and guys who wanted to get into burlesque or just simply wanted to express themselves. Mm. And on um, the other side of things, those that, that were my supporters, it was filling this deep sense of I will probably end up with my dad dying and never ever, ever hearing the words, I am proud of you. Yeah. And that was painful. And every person that just said, wow, what you're doing is so great. I'm so proud of you. That filled, filled a tiny little fraction of this, mm. this hole yeah. in my heart. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Mm, and I, I think what's important is the word drive because it, you really right. were driven and you turned it from an initial endeavor and uh, initial way of, of expressing your creativity that was pent up to into a professional career. And yeah. you always, you always supported and looked at this, this form as uh, from a woman, uh, from a women empowerment ex- perspective as well. Yeah. And obviously you've expressed why that was so important to you, but it, it must've been encouraging as well that at, at, uh, at the point that you were invited to Buckingham Palace for recognition for your right. contribution to the arts and, as an Asian role model, everything that right. you wanted to be represented as and everything that you've done led up to this point. Although um, some people don't like to see awards or these kind of things as milestones, it must have been nice to feel that recognition and think what I'm doing, I'm, I'm on a really good course here and I'm, what I'm doing is positive, not just for me, but for other people as well. So it's really funny in that it was overwhelmingly amazing in that it was that recognition and it's staggering to Mm. be honest with you because what Mm. the heck Mm. a burlesque artist being invited to Buckingham Palace you know even I had to look back at that and go that is crazy Mm. (laughs) it is a huge milestone I'm not putting down burlesque I'm just saying that was progressive and phenomenal and I thank you know the Asian Women of Achievement Awards for even setting that up to make that happen in Pinky Lilani because holy hell that was progressive and it was it made yeah. me incredibly proud. Yeah. Um, so yes, however, it's so ridiculous that that one aspect of our heritage that we take the piss out of, which is trying to make our parents proud, that we think is just mm. ridiculous. It's amazing how much it really hooks you, yeah, man. Yeah. It hooks yeah, you. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. for me, my parents weren't that impressed and that was mm. crushing you know mm. that was so crushing mm. because I was being invited to Buckingham Palace and um 
Yeah. And they, they just, they were just, oh, but it's for burlesque. You know, that scorn. Yeah, it's just, yeah exactly. So, yeah. so I guess, you know, at, at any point in someone's career, they would go, well, I peaked. You know, cool. I peaked. <laughs> that was decent. Yeah. I peaked. Buckingham Palace, cool. I peaked. But because of that, I just, I, it wasn't a peak for me. Do you mm. know what I mean? It wasn't a peak. Mm. And, and, and that's, that then fueled even more this sense of, and I, I started to wake up and I still do. I wake up in the morning, although it's kind of, it's a little bit, I've taken the gas off it a tiny bit, but it's still there. Don't get mm. me wrong. It's still there. Wake up in the morning and go, how yeah. much do you want it? How much mm. do you want mm. this? And thinking of Muhammad Ali's, I am the greatest. Mm. Like I would be, I would mm. tell him, I'm the best. Mm. I am the best. I'm going to do this and I'm going to manifest smash it. Mm. I'm going to change lives and I'm going to, I'm going to change, you know, change the lives of women around the world and guys around the world. I'm going to push for arts to be taken seriously. Like it, it leveled me up. I think what's crazy mm. is that every every success has had has been tainted with this very Asian sense of are my parents proud? But that mm. sadness has been turned into a level up, yep. like a beyond yeah, yeah. immeasurable level up. And it's mm. bizarre because you can kind of look at that growth and chart it in two different ways. Either it can be a really damn sad story mm. with a super sad soundtrack, yeah. or it can be like Cardi B's Get Up 10. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Again, it's one or the other, depending on how you I, want I to love, write I that I love script. how this conversation... <laughs> I love how this conversation has already included Mozart yes. and Cardi B. In I mean, one, how could you not recording? include them like, in the same sentence on the same podcast? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but it's true what you're saying because, you know, we um, circumstances don't define character. Right. You know, like it's the circumstances that we find ourselves in. It's what we do with them that makes us who we are, not yeah. what mm. happens to us. It's always the result of our interpretation. And that's no criticism of people who, don't you know go on to be successful because everybody's pain's different and everyone's resources are different as well but to hear you talk in these terms is very inspiring because it allows again it allows people to listen to that and think I'm not I'm not going to be defined or I don't have to be defined by the circumstances or situations I find myself right. in there is still an option or a choice that I can do something more with the the cards that I've been dealt 100% and I think that you know, a lot of people may look at my story and go, well, you know, you started from a good childhood and therefore, of course, you you had perhaps more opportunities and you went to university yeah. and this, that and the other. But I think what they don't realize is that when Asian parents or Asian family, uh, you do something that controversial, they have the power to cut you off yeah, and you are very much on your yeah. own. And it's either yeah, you yeah. go back into the fold and you become that good, that good Asian child and you, and that comes with a wealth of oppression. It really, really does. Or you rebel and you are on your motherfucking own. Absolutely. And for me, yeah. when my parents found out, like even when I was pushing back against my aesthetic and, and bleaching my hair, you know, my parents cut me off. So that first job, and, but, but they gave this, this ultimatum, which is we'll cut you off or why don't you just give it all up and behave yourself, be good mm. and come back? But that felt like a, a prison sentence. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It yeah, really yeah, did. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's bizarre yeah. to explain that. But, you know, 
So getting that IT job, I think what made me want my career as well, that even bit more was, you know, I had, I had, I had a loan that I took out myself. Mm. That was all that funded me to get into IT. I had to teach myself and I had to build up money whilst I was teaching myself. I took a, I, I cleaned snot and shit off of toilets in a mm. factory, in a tomato factory. And I w- and then ended up getting promoted into putting the tomatoes in a box. Then I did in a factory, you know, those like grocery crates you get made out of plastic yep. with the handles. Yeah. Clunking those handles in. Wow. A hundred times a day on a factory line because I had no money. And that was the only way that I could, I could better myself. Mm. So I think when mm. you have been in that and like super noodles, you know what I mean? Tinned yeah. meat. Yeah. When you have been that, <laughs> and, and, I, and I could have gone back to my parents, but you, what you don't understand is you can't. Yeah. Like you literally can't. You can, but then you yeah. can't. Mm. You actually can't. Mm. So it, it was a, this, the difference between how I could have lived and how I was choosing to live was like extreme, but it was because I, I just didn't want to be in a prison. And I think when you've been in that much of a hardship and it was like a real hardship mm. that will forever forever shape me that I'm forever proud that I got out of I think when you when you're in that much of a hardship like you just want to get yourself out to the extreme yeah. you want to better your life to the extreme so when I say that if you want something enough you can achieve it I am not talking about from a place of privilege I'm mm. talking about like if you want something you you can like you literally you can overcome so much in order to get your dreams 100% 100% because I managed to do that and I I swear with enough belief and enough role models to inspire you to keep going Mm. you can achieve your dreams 100% what a phenomenal journey there Suki I'm honestly the the I wasn't aware of the the struggle uh, so much it's so early on as well and it, yeah. it just makes it just makes where you are so much sweeter and and, and yeah. so much better yeah. and and so much more um so much better and more i mean what yeah. can you say it just makes it, it so much just more genuine isn't it's it just, sons it's like mm. it's so great to hear this story that we where we have the opportunity to speak to suki the authentic soul <laughs> that you are and not and not Dr. Sucky because your mom and dad wanted you to be a doctor. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's really nice to, 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 to get to see that. Um, the, the, well, the story hasn't finished, but we're so great to see this part of the journey that you're mm-hmm. on right now, that it's been done from a place of authenticity and um, respect for yourself and honoring who you are as a person. It's just, that's, that's a great thing Thank to see. Thank you so much. And I think as well, it's about choice, you know? Like mm. now that I've achieved so much in my arts, yeah, you know, I'd love to be able to, I, I've, I've talked about going back and doing a major in something really geeky because I, I, mm. I, I do have a scientific brain as well, but yeah. I think yeah. it's about the choice yes. and, yeah. you know, on we, your terms. we deserve to have that choice on our terms. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and right. now, of course, it's led to greater things, international platform on, on Netflix through Singapore Social. Absolutely amazing opportunity to be with your friends on there and obviously gives you a, a voice internationally. And like you say, these, these waves of, of popularity and, and you're really 
reaching out to people that may not have seen you before. It's, it's such an amazing opportunity. And how did, how did it come about? And, and what has it done for you? Um, wow. So I guess when you scream about doing something loud enough, eventually somebody will hear about your story. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it was just that journey that you couldn't almost Google. What, the, the film Crazy Rich Asians came out first off. And then it's set in Singapore. And that yeah. went huge. It was mm. massive. Yeah. And I think every single network wanted to do a show about who the real life crazy rich Asians were mm. in Singapore. And mm. Netflix was in there yeah, <laughs> like a were. dart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think, um, yeah. well, you know, if you, if you were to Google crazy in Singapore, <laughs> um, I think that possibly doing burlesque and having rainbow hair might be kind of up there so (laughs) it's all about believing just keep staying in your lane and eventually somebody will notice and Mm. so they did you know they couldn't go without finding out about my story and Mm. one of the producers got in touch and said we're doing this well they pitched it as a docu-series documentary on Singapore so I thought oh that'll be classy (laughs) it's Netflix I trust these people Um, and so, yeah, I, I signed, I signed up and it became this giant that is Mm. (laughs) part of reality TV. Um, not something I necessarily intended, but I, I, I love now, I have to say, I do love now because of just how huge that platform is and how it's gone off and how it's almost had this second premiere Mm. a year and a bit after it even Mm. came out. So Yes, phenomenal, life-changing, absolutely life-changing because yeah. I had an audience before it and now the, it, it feels like, I mean, if we weren't in a pandemic, <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like I'm waiting for the gates to open yeah. and then it's going mm, to be unbelievable. Go, go, yeah. yeah, it's going to be unbelievable. Yeah. Not one Pete, not two Pete. It's the 3P. So, Seki, this is the part of the show where we ask you the the 3P. What's the three tracks that you could play on repeat over and over again, any day, any time, anywhere. It can be absolutely anything. What's your first one? Okay, so I've picked these just temporarily because it changes all the time. Okay. So before the music police come after me, (laughs) this is just (laughs) what I was feeling at the time. That's, that's, that's what we want to hear. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're allowed to say that after hearing your story today, knowing that you live to a soundtrack. This is today. the three yes. of today, and that's acceptable. So, um, Claire Lune. Um, so why this one? What, does it have a, a special moment in time? Is it? Um, yeah. Can you relate to it? It's a beautiful arrangement, somewhat magical. Um, tell us more about why mm. you've picked that one. I picked this track because I absolutely exit my own body when I listen to it it's one of those tracks where yeah. it's like a um it's like a 10 p.m yeah. it's a 10 p.m and uh, you know it where is, you just yeah, um yeah. you're in that zen space and um you, it's it's hard to explain but I just I just feel this sensation of just letting go and um also this sense of um absolutely vacating my body pretty high up mm. and then just having this aerial view of all the humans on earth yeah and that's just how it makes me feel and i think mm. you know it can be when i'm just decompressing or 
when I've had a, a huge, huge busy schedule. So right now I'm listening to that because things are so mad in mm. my life right now as a result of Netflix. Yeah. And I, I love just getting away from like laptop, humans, interviews, everything, yes. just vacating upwards mm. and just floating in that space of mm. serenity. And that's, that's I think, what I, I think what's amazing about this one, and I think Mac will agree with me here, we, it's the first time we've ever had uh, a piece such as this from a, an amazing French composer. Mm. Um, usually it's more popular music yep. and that kind of thing. But the reason why I, I really like this is not because we haven't had something like this before, but because when when you told me about this before the interview, I went and listened to it and I, I found that piece of music and I, I found that composition and that arrangement and exactly what you said was exactly how I, feel when I, I felt when I listened to it. I, yeah. I felt like I was yeah. in the stars in the sky basically and almost like it's really funny my, my daughter has this projector on her ceiling which is just stars slowly moving and it you get lost in it that that song kind of takes you there or that composition kind of takes you there mm. and i think it's amazing and it's a great pick it's a great pick it's um the, i think the first was the first time we've had a french composer what I really love about this song is everything that you've described about it, Soki. You've articulated it in such a brilliant way of what that song, can, that piece of music, should I say, can do to you. I also, when I heard it, I um, I remember, I was like, I've heard this before. And I was running my memory bank, where have I heard it before? And it's like oh, end really? of Ocean's Eleven. When, when they're, yeah, when they're, when they've done the job and they're looking out over the Bellagio fountains and it come, the fountains come on. And that's the, exactly the sentiment, what you described, that's exactly the sentiment oh, that's wow. going on in that film at that time. They're done, they're decompressing, they're reflecting, they're kind mm. of removed from the situation that they've just been in. So you've described it in a way that really does um, explain the the value that piece of music can yeah. have to your soul. It's not like, oh, I feel good about this music, I just want to dance. It's like, no, there's, there's something esoteric yeah. about this kind of music. There's... It's a bit more than your average <laughs> pop song. There's something that really connects with you. And if you allow that music, it will take you on a journey rather than, you know, just listening to a piece of music because it sounds nice. This is this is an interactive experience with a piece of music rather yeah, than just Yeah, it's, like, um, it's bizarre because the sensation is aerial, but mm. in a way it's very grounding. Yeah, it's a great way yeah. to put it. Yeah. yeah. So saying that, we're almost euphoric music. Um, what, what's the second one? It's okay. Oh God, okay. <laughs> this is going to get really dark now. <laughs> that was so beautiful. Cardi, and now, Cardi B. Cardi B. And now, <laughs> and now up. No, I'm joking. Um, now, <laughs> doing theatre, the spirit carries on. Um, okay, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm religious. I'd say I was probably more agnostic. I used to be an atheist, and now mm. I'll just say, who knows? Mm. Um but this song, actually, if you guys haven't heard it, listen to it because it's actually not necessarily to do with, well, I mean, it is spiritual in a sense, but it's not sort of happy, clappy spiritual. Yeah. Um, but this song, in a very, in the very same way um, that, um, you know, Claire de Lune takes you out, this mm. sort of kind of takes me out, but in a really sad way. So it's bizarre, but... I've achieved, and I'm not asking, <laughs> I'm not asking this upon myself. I've achieved a lot in my life. And um, I almost feel like if I died tomorrow, 
I would, I would be, I'm at peace. Mm. I live every single day now mm. kind of at peace because, mm. you know, my dad, spoiler alert, finally said he was proud of me this wow. year. Um, yeah, in January. Um, he was really close to the edge and I brought him back and he said he was proud of me. And, um, and so I, I'm not, I'm done. There's more to no, give, no, I, but like in terms of that mm, restless mm. soul, mm. I'm done. And so it's it actually gives me quite a comfort to think about death, not mm. in a creepy way, but just the peace of it. Yes, you know, yes, yeah, mortality yeah, yeah. no mm. longer holds fear for me. Mm. I, I no longer feel a sense of rush before death. Mm. And this song just resonates with that sensation and so it's kind of sad because we go through so much pain and such an arc to get to that point Mm. but it's also a release because you're letting go of everything that you had that anger that everything and just i think you know just go on Mm. off you go like just let go do you know what I mean so yeah. that's the sensation I listen to I used to listen to this when I was 18 mm. um in a caravan wow <laughs> and and that and, and now it's taken on a real different meaning because I was obsessed with James Bree but mm. now it's um taken on a different meaning for me and um yeah it's, it really feels like that release that peace with everything I wanted to do on this planet feel like I've pretty much done. I think, yeah. I think that's a sign of great is. music. Yeah, I think... I, I just want to pick up on what you said there. I think Dream Theater are an absolutely fantastic band from the, the 80s and 90s. Um, but I think what's special about that is they, they created a piece of music which almost had a, a different meaning for you in different stages of your life. Yes. But ultimately, it was the same piece of music. I think yeah. that's a testament to how great that song is so true and it's bizarre because when people think of dream theater they think of like progressive rock progressive metal mm. but you know you'll catch those little nuances in those yeah. genres like I'll, I'll tell you um judas priest yes. um damn mm. what's that song um like, wings of destruction it's um you know that that's that that one tune um damn i'll have to google it <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I can't remember. But there's this one, Rob Halford sings this one Judas Priest song for the life of me. I can't think of it right now. And it's as calm, even though it has elements of, you know, heavy metal. Yeah. You know, it's operatic in a sense. But it has those moments. And I think there are these bands sometimes that just create these bizarre, unexpected tunes that resonate in so many different ways and it's cool because the their genre as a whole you wouldn't expect it and no. then they're these gems that stick with you and that this is one of them for me yeah i, th- I think these songs would would be up there with with the likes of queen and that kind of thing that operatic Pink, Pink kind Floyd. of yeah absolutely i i agree 100%. that's so that's a solid first two there, Sucky, yeah. and 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 really diverse as well, and something we're not really used to, but equally great to talk about something completely different. So, what's your third and final one? Yeah. Okay, this is where my justification run up was required. So <laughs> <laughs> now taking it back to Whitney Houston. Oh, good old Whitney. 
<laughs> Love Whitney Houston. I know, I know, I know, Good old I Whitney. know, and I've now become that chick, and I know, <laughs> and I appreciate that. However, this track is um, has been in my life for a very long time mm. because every time I used to get on a plane, when I landed, I would listen to this song. Oh wow! To inspire me. Mm to as soon as I landed in that country just smash it and it was kind of like the calm before the storm so this for me is a it's a it's an adrenaline igniter yes for me so I've Mm. had like say for example you know I would do that Qatar Airways flight and it would be seven hours a break and then seven hours because mm. I get restless I like to get off I don't mm. want to do that whole Emirates flight so <laughs> now you know where I fly <laughs> but oh <laughs> but anyhow um, that the flight and then it's been such a long journey and just as you get down to that runway you have those three minutes mm. where the announcements happened and your your media pauses yeah. <laughs> and then you have calm, three yeah. more minutes to yeah. listen mm. and it, the buzz starts because everyone's about yeah. to get up so I've had that journey and I'm like oh, I'm down I'm down I'm down I'm down and now I've landed in the country and I've got the shows and I've got the press and I've got everything stacked up and I want to just build myself again mm. in this one moment on mm. time like Whitney for me the way it goes and goes and goes and goes just sets me off and that adrenaline rush like I come off the flight going my moment (laughs) you know what I mean so that is something that if I'm feeling just a little bit low energy and I want to pick it and then follow that music Mm. train because then I'll start there and it'll go off onto yeah, yeah. this, that, that tune, that tune, that tune, and then I'm like up here. That's my hype tune. I, I think. Uh, well, I, I think it's yeah. such a fitting tune because obviously, <laughs> I, th- I think this song was the theme for like the 1988 Olympics or something like that. I love the references in, yeah, <laughs> in, in, in Korea. So it, it's so fitting that you say that it was in. I think it was South Korea, wow. Seoul. I think the the, the Olympics were in 1988. So. The, the reason why I think it's such a good song for that is because, like you said, it's it's this moment that you really want to go and smash it. And it feels as yeah. if that song was actually created for that purpose. And the yeah, fact that yeah, you yeah. you can relate to it on that level mm. as well. I mean, obviously, it was around the time you were born. Such a such an amazing song that it, maybe that's why it can resonate. But I'm so old school, though. I love, I, oh, I love, 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 love listening to the old 80s music for me. No, I just, I'm, I'm obsessed with it. And I don't care like, what genre they will never make music yeah. like that yeah i swear to god i i mean an amazing ballad porcupine tree <laughs> yeah. maybe kind of hits it a bit and there are some <laughs> others but man those old tracks that were just unashamedly almost cheesy yeah. operatic melodramatic just emotive mm. i mean who better to, who better to end it on the whitney amazing who better to end it on the whitney so the final question of the show, Suki, everything that you've told us today, including your three-peat and uh, the journey that you've taken us on throughout your career, oh, the final question <laughs> is, are you roots or rhymes? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, obviously right now I am roots, um, quite literally all 15 inches of them, <laughs> but I would say probably 
Oh man, I'm probably Rhymes. I'm probably really? Rhymes only because Roots have played such a Ooh. massive, massive yeah. part in the creation of me. Mm-hmm. And now it's like it no longer has command over me. It no longer a- has the command over me. Amazing. So now just go mm-hmm. forth with the rhymes and create. It's time to rhyme. Amazing. I think, you know, I have to say, Mac, love it. That's probably the best justification I've heard for (laughs) that question. That, and and nobody's ever come from that perspective, that the roots had such a hold on me that now it's almost time for me to rhyme. Amazing. No, we, 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 we we haven't heard that explanation. You're, you're in, you're in the very, uh, exclusive small category of people who've chosen (laughs) rhymes. (laughs) Uh, on our podcast, it's very it's all the messed there's up me, people. There's me, the you, and one other person that's, that's ever chosen rhymes in the history of, of the yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's, it's you know, it's the ones, there's the ones that other Indians Love didn't like. Now. They're all in that category. So, uh, but it's a, it's a, yeah, there's an awesome justification for why, uh, why you've chosen rhymes. Uh, definitely resonates with me, and it's just been a beautiful listen and opportunity for us to hear your story and see where it has been and really look forward to where it is going. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Likewise, thank you for everything that you're doing. Honestly, no problem. I, I've I, watched your journey over the last year and you're yes. just absolutely smashing it. I'm proud to be your sister. Oh, thank you I so much. You continue to flash it. Keep at it. Amazing. Amazing. And you know what? It's, it's been absolutely fantastic for us to, to have you on the show today, Suki. Not just not just for the fact that we've been wanting you for the for the last year, but also because you you provide such a, a unique angle um, about the the Indian experience and being part British as well, and something that I think a lot of people can resonate with, but are not able to because the people like yourselves aren't always available where they are. And now that you're giving them a platform, I think it's fantastic and before you leave us today i want to give you the opportunity to to plug anything that you've got going on let everybody know where you are where they can find you and what you're doing what you have been doing what you're having for dinner tonight anything and, and what know. your cat's names are you've got five cats i want to know what cats, yeah, put, um, what's my cat's name? names are seven of nine ivan the terrible seven. button beard or button moon um pudding ann and coley wally <laughs> this is this one's this is why i wanted to know that if you call it seven of nine because you're tricky oh amazing Amazing. This is why I wanted to know. This is why I wanted to know the uh, the cat's name because I knew it wouldn't be like Spot and Sooty. (laughs) Could have been Spot though. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I knew there was going to be some story behind the name, so I needed I needed to ask that question before we let. So yes, coming up, I am going to be speaking on "It's a Girl Thing." Um, which wow. will be broadcast live in India mm. um, on Indian TV. I'll do an Instagram post of it on my Instagram, which is at Suki Menon. And um, you can watch that live if you're in India on um, March the 8th. And we'll have catch-ups across my social media. So it's Suki Menon on Instagram, on Twitter. And uh, I feel like that's mostly where I hang out. And you can, if you're really, really hardcore obsessive, you can hang out on my Facebook, but I'm very rarely there. <laughs> so Instagram's where it's at. <laughs> Amazing. It's been an absolute exclusive. pleasure today, Suki. And, and, and we're happy to have the exclusive. There you go. Yeah. Hey. That's a wrap. <laughs> Thank you.
the UK is on red alert. As part of our commitment to the British Asian events industry, we're campaigning with We Make Events to help raise vital funds for those who can no longer work as a result of live events being cancelled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. You can help by donating using the link in the description of this podcast, because together we can help make events again.